I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant and the founder at Boldside. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. Emily Bowen here and I'm the COO of Rare Kind. And today on the show, we're doing community Q&A from our Facebook community, My Millennial Money. We've gathered a whole stack of questions that we're going to answer in this episode. Yeah, there are some goodies in here. It's After all this time, all these episodes, we start to wonder, like, are they going to be new questions that we haven't answered before? But of course, there are. The world of careers. There's never a dull moment. So plenty of topics in here that we haven't covered before. All right, let's get into it. All right. The first question, it's been submitted anonymously and it is, any thoughts on what careers will not exist in a decade or two? What will the future look like for jobs in Australia? And should we be looking for a career change now when we're considering the future career landscape? I like that this person is a long-term thinker. Let me just say that. Absolutely. Totally. It's such a good thing to think about and kind of can be a bit daunting when you hear people talk about the future of work. Um, And I know there's... There's seen so many. I remember going to a conference uh, a couple of years back and a, fu- a futurist kind of hopped up and communicated all the jobs that wouldn't exist. And actually, when I say a few years back, it was probably like eight years ago. <laughs> yeah, everything feels like a few years ago when you get past that, the other side of 30. And also the other side of the pandemic, right? Yeah, like, true. Like it's, yes. feels, it's all very confusing. But it would have been about eight years ago and, and this um, person hopped up and, and said the jobs that they were assuming within the next 10 years would be fully automated. And they were talking about like travel agents and different stuff. And a lot of the things that they predicted haven't come into effect. And I I think we, we're hypothesizing. We don't have, a, it's, there's no like crystal ball. crystal ball that's telling us exactly what's happening. There was a few p- people saying different things, but here's, here's some ideas. So the truck industry, hire uh, car drivers when we think about Driverless, cars that, driverless yes. cars, then yeah, okay, well, we can predict and and predict that. Things like industries that we're seeing, you know, fading out. So like things like print mm. and print media and all that kind of stuff. And I know, I remember one of the predictions in at that conference was administrative legal jobs won't exist. Now, who knows, right? Like who knows the ins and outs? My sense, Em, is less about what jobs won't exist and more about what parts of our role won't exist. And I almost think of it like what skills will we need to focus more on or what what are we going to be playing up and what are we going to be playing down? Totally. And I think that's a heaps better way to look at it. So really anything that can be routinized or automated, look at that in your job. Those are the things that will in the future be unlikely to continue and instead, like you said, I'm focusing on those those skills that you'll need in the future, which are typically human-centred skills. Well, uh, I guess it's that whole idea of what are the things that only we as humans can do or what as we as humans can do better than a computer. 
Yeah, that's right. So things like empathy, things like influence, leadership, emotional intelligence, any of those skills that are nuanced, that are more complex around people, critical thinking, those are the things that you want to up the ante on and then look at your job and and assess what are the things that maybe could be automated. And the good thing about this M is that it makes your job more enjoyable. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm I'm sitting here thinking if I could take away the things in my role that are routinized or that are repetitive that feel mundane to me. I'm I'm not one. I know some people love it, but I'm not one for maintenance. I really love working on new rather than maintaining an existing system or a system that's been implemented. So I'm just sitting here going the future is going to be good. If I can focus more on the human-centered parts of what I do and the newness, then I'm all about it. Love it. All right. Where are we going next? Okay. We're going to Michael's question. So question number two is what are some tips for putting together a CV for a career change? Or more specifically, how do you get the reader to more easily understand that you are looking for a career change and therefore continue to read your CV? Mm, This is a great question. Thank you, Michael. So the, uh, can we make it a case study? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, it just helps me to be able to give an example. So let's say you're working in sales, Michael, and you're wanting to move into project management. So career change into a different industry and role. Um, now, if we look at what the gap is, the first thing we want to understand is what's the gap? What is the things that I'm missing in terms of that uh, experience? So in this case, it's that I haven't formally project, done a project management job. I haven't led a project from start to finish in a formal way. That doesn't mean you haven't done it. It just means you haven't done it necessarily in that job title or whatnot. So now you know the gaps. So what are the skills gaps? What are the experience gaps that you have? Now I want you to go and look at all the skills that you do have that can easily transfer to that role. So if we look at the core skills for project management, the things will be stakeholder engagement, communication, organisation, influence. And if you come from sales, all of those skills you have actually done in your job and you just need to show how those things connect. So look for examples, draw those parallels in your resume, draw those parallels out in your cover letter and say, well, as a salesperson, I'm influencing people every day and in the project management role, it's a lot of sideways influencing and, I need, and I'm able to demonstrate how I've done that consistently. I totally agree. What I would add is when you're constructing your CV, make sure that you're putting what you've found as far as what is transferable in your skills and experience, make sure you're putting that as far to the top and as far to the front as you can. So basically we want to Uh, Use a little bit of creative license. So there are some rules around how to prepare a resume, but wherever you can within the boundaries of those, maybe colouring just outside the edges, pop the most relevant information to the top. Uh, Now, how how can I give you an example of that? It can be as simple as making sure that those things that Shell just used as an example, like communication, stakeholder engagement, influence, organisation, that you've actually got those Uh, responsibilities at the top of your dot pointed list under your most recent role. It can also be though you considering, well, if the qualifications that you've got are not at all relevant to project management, then maybe make sure that's on the last page. 
if you have happened to go and do a project management course, then pop it in front and centre. So it's saying like, hey, you know, when you're sort of giving the reader that like, I've done this qualification in project management, even though once they start looking at your experience, they're not going to see a formal role in that. Especially if you're currently studying. I think sometimes people think you have to have finished it, but if you're currently studying project management and hey, you're only one month in, put it in there. It just shows that you're actively doing it. And and remember what the recruiter or the hiring manager is doing. They're just scanning. They're looking for words that confirm, do I want to move this person to the yes pile? Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned cover letter shell earlier on because that is your friend. That's your opportunity to tell your story. So in your cover letter, make sure that you recognize quite early on that uh, this is your intention. Your intention is to change careers and pitch yourself, which, you know, pitching for this case study example will be right up your alley if you're moving from sales to project management. Awesome. All right, the next one is from Alona. And she says, if you're considering changing your career path, where would be the best place to look for information to weigh up the pros and cons of the decision? It's got to be LinkedIn, doesn't it, Shell? You know we love LinkedIn. We do. We love LinkedIn. And I keep thinking about your advice on this uh, probably a few years back now. There goes that pandemic (laughs) again. (laughs) Um, Around find the jobs that you're looking for and then find kind of well-known people in that. You can search on LinkedIn really easily and look at their background and experience and see what kinds of jobs they've done to get to where they are. And that gives you a really good indicator of what's involved if you're or if you're wanting to make that career change and weighing up what does a new career path look like and if you do find that any of those people are your connections or you've got some sort of link to them have a conversation with them as well ask them particularly where you're talking here about pros and cons of the decision you're wanting to learn more about the potential that could be incoming if you do make the change. So the more conversations that you can have, the better. Uh, We've also thought about industry info. So like that might be a blog, it might be a website, there's industry associations out there. Industry networking groups, get amongst it. They're good ways to meet people and get a sense of what it's like in that new career. The other thing um, I've seen people do, and which is really cool, is do a bit of a job preview. And if you think about when you go to the movies, and I love in the beginning of the movies just watching the trailers, and I think, I want to go see that one, I want to go see that one, I don't want that one. Like think of it in that way. Get a trailer, get a preview into the job. And the way that you can do that is – I, I've had a few people do this recently where they connect and they say, can I come and like work alongside you or volunteer some time? And it's a really, it, it costs you something because you're volunteering, but it saves you heaps because you get an insight and go, yeah, this is really cool. Or no, this is so not for me. There's also, I'm just going to add this tiny little one on the end and before we move on, there's also increasingly a lot of businesses on their Instagram profiles or their TikTok profiles that are doing a day in the life of. So they're doing reels and things where it's just a little snapshot. And I think your mention of movie trailers reminded me of that. Look, it might not be as deep as some of these other resources that we've talked about, but I think every little bit of insight helps in this decision making. Exactly. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. All right, Lachlan has asked... M, what are the pros and cons of fly-in, fly-out work as opposed to working in a major city? Yes. Okay. So, a couple of disclaimers here uh, or I guess a little sort of upfront kind of frame the question notes. One is let's assume, I think in this one, let's assume Lachlan lives in a major city. So, here he's looking for that comparison between FIFO work to working in the major city that he lives in. Second little note up front, I've never done FIFO work uh, and I believe you haven't either, Shell. So we're going to talk a bit from, I guess, what we understand of it, but maybe it's like arms reach. Yeah, disclaimer, definitely, disclaimer. Definitely a long <laughs> arms reach because, yeah, we haven't, we haven't done it. We haven't, but we've heard a lot. We've been around. So we think we can maybe just, um, just pop a couple of things down here that could be thought starters. When I think of um, fly-in, fly-out work and what the pros are, the first thing that comes to my mind is the money. So one thing I have absolutely heard of and I, I believe to be true is that you're typically going to earn a higher income doing the same role in a fly-in, fly-out context than you would if you were closer to home. Um, and you're usually also going to find that your other living costs, so that might be meals and accommodation, there might be a gym, those things are going to be covered, which can mean that you're earning or the cash that's staying in your bank, I guess, is higher because those costs are lower. The other thing uh, that comes to mind is the condensed work roster. So you're typically going to be working in like a big block. So you'll fly in, you'll do a big block of work and then you'll have the opposite. So you'll actually fly out and have a big block of time at home. And for the right person, this can be amazing because it means that you've got more time when you are at home in a block to spend with family, with friends, and you can even go traveling. And if you pop some leave either side of that block off, then you could potentially have like quite a meaty chunk of time to be able to go and do something. And finally, I'm thinking you have more choice uh, on where you live. So you might prefer a more regional lifestyle, being closer to the beach, like travel's easier to get around town. And I guess as long as there's an airport or whoever your employer is, then you can still fly and fly out quite easily. And so there's some lifestyle gains there. So what do you reckon the cons are? Okay, the cons. Uh, we almost need to flip it a little bit, I guess, here. So when we talked about that um, condensed work roster, what that can mean is that when you're on site, you're working really long days. And that's got something to do with also earning the higher income. So you might be doing 12 plus hour days and you're typically going to be doing those consecutively. So you could be doing seven plus days in a row 
you're not getting that, you know, normal kind of five days on, two days off for the weekend. And also the shift work. So you might find in these styles of roles or in these environments, there's a higher volume or higher expectation on shift work and not everybody's body clock adjusts easily to that. I haven't worked night shift, but I've uh, known plenty of people that do. And I have often thought, I don't know if I could handle that. that. That's not for everybody. You might also find that there's less freedom when on site. So when you're actually on camp, you're there. You know, you don't have that sensation of being able to get a change of scenery, jump in the car and go and do what you want to do in your own time because you're quite remote or you're just working so much that it's like work, eat, sleep, repeat. And it can also be difficult socially. So the fact that you are remote from your loved ones, whether that be your household or your friends and also the comforts of that, that can be taxing on you. It can be taxing on the people that are that are still at home. It can mean that there are higher demands on those people and it can also mean that you're missing out on milestones like birthdays and weddings more often and that might not be something that is favourable to you or perhaps even to your partner and friends who would love to have you there. Yeah, that's great. And it's really good to just weigh up and put it on paper and see the differences between the two. And so if we think about the pros of working in a major city, well, there's all the lifestyle benefits. So being close to family and friends, amazing restaurants, we've got all that social side that you get that you wouldn't necessarily get if you're working remotely. And the other thing I think about, M, which I've always found a deterrent, is rotating rosters. Like you said about night shifts, like weighing up, what does a rotating roster mean for your overall like personal family partner situation? Commitments. Even I think about um, if you're studying, if you ha- like having a gym routine, uh, if there are different things like that that you, you would prefer to be able to fit into your life. Like I like knowing that I have the gym every day and it fits in neatly around work. And so while I could still train, I'm sure if I was um, on camp for FIFO work, it's like, I, I just know that would be different. And this is a very, I know the gym, like what, you know, is it really that big a deal? But for some people, it's some of those little mechanics of your life that do make a difference. But then also for parents, it's like the school drop-offs and the pickups and having that change month on month off or whatever the roster might be. Yeah, it's massive. I, I, all, all my mind was thinking about is daycare drop-offs and how <laughs> tricky all those things become when you're on a rotating roster. So, all right. Cons, hit us with it. What do you think the cons of working in a major city are? Yeah, so again, I guess we're looking at the opposites of the fly and fly out pros. For example, this is where your salary is going to be less. It's not going to be a bad salary. It still could be a really competitive salary. And in major cities in particular, if this is where Lachlan's living, they're typically higher than the regional areas. Um, They just don't reach the heights of FIFO work. Uh, And additionally, you're going to have costs of living like your meals and accommodation that we talked on. So um, that's something to consider. And the shorter periods off work, you're, you're going to need to rely, particularly if you want to take a trip or have a block off, rely on your annual leave accrual, you're, you're basically, you've got your weekends or if you're in say nursing, you've got the bounds of whatever your roster might be. So look, Shell, to sum it up, I feel like this comes down to, if I was Lachlan, this comes down to what your priorities are at the moment. If you want to knuckle down, prioritise earning uh, a really high wage for a period of time so that you can come back and buy a house in the place that you would love to live. I know that there's a there's whole raft of success stories that have treated this as that opportunity. 
but the trade-off may be your social life and relationships and family and the, I guess, um, wellness that that sort of lifestyle can bring. Awesome. All right. So the next question is anonymous and this person has two job offers on the table. So one is to be promoted in the business they're working in with a bit of a pay rise and they like the organisational culture they're in. So next decision they're weighing up is they were um, headhunted for a larger organisation and it's got a bit of a pay increase or, or a bigger pay increase and the role has more responsibilities and opportunities. So they're in this tricky spot and because they love where they're at, there's a good culture, a good environment and they've got a promotion on the table at their current organisation and then they've got the decision of, oh, but this exciting new opportunity has come up, it's more money and more responsibility and it could be a good career growth opportunity. So, But I guess on that second one, the culture is more of an unknown. Yes. Mm. So it's a tricky one because you, you are weighing up between two. If you look at them on paper, they're two really good, opportunities and it's the unknowns that are the risk factor in this scenario. Yeah. Well, while you've got the mic, why don't you give us the answer? (laughs) (laughs) Can I? Yeah. Um, Because it's tough, right? Like I kind of sit here and go, oh, if I had that decision placed on the table for me right now, I'm not sure what I would do. And I think that's the thing. It's looking what you need to take a macro view rather than looking at those two things and just focusing on your career, you need to step back and look at what are your bigger life goals and priorities. So for me, if I was looking at that, I'd be I'd be filtering those decisions through the lens of what do I want right now? What's most important to me? And then therefore, which decision makes the most sense? So if I, right now, my priority is, hey, I, I'm keen to have a baby in the next, you know, 18 months or whatever. So stability might be important because I want to have my parental leave and all those things. So that would be a guide for me about how I make that decision. Well, then I'm going to stay where I am because I've got stability. It's a it's a known entity and there's opportunity and it's positive. Like there's all these kind of good kind of healthy signs. So if that's my priority, that's how I'd make that decision. On the other hand, if my priority right now is career growth, I'm really wanting to step things up. I'm wanting to take some risks because I can tell that if I stay here, I might get a little bit stagnant. Then I'm going to absolutely go for the one that has the unknowns, that has a greater risk, but the reward is likely higher. And I wonder as well if we, again, thinking macro and the bigger pay packet is coming from the move to the bigger organisation and you've, you know, you've got that nice lumpy increase in your salary. If rather than starting a family, you're bigger picture goals at the moment or priorities were to save for a house, then maybe you would prioritise, like you could do the maths, do a quick little spreadsheet and see if I moved and I had that pay increase, how much more quickly could I achieve my goal of owning it, like, well, buying a house? Exactly. And I am just checked my phone <laughs> because another question we had in the Facebook community was, from someone who is currently working in a government job and has been there for an extended period of time and has got a good level of like annual leave accrued and parental leave and all this stuff. And they had the job offer come up to work in a social work environment, which is a bit, which is a career change for them. And so the other added thing in this scenario was that 
this person is going through IVF and so they're really wanting to have a baby and they're trying to weigh up, well, what do I do? Like, do I take this new job opportunity that's really exciting in uh, social work in a totally different field or do I stay where I am with the unknown of like my goal, my life goal is to have a baby, but it's still an unknown at the moment. And and how do I make those tough decisions? And that scenario is another example of, well, you got you, you can't make your career decisions in isolation of your life. Yeah, that's such a nice way to sum it up. Like, and that's such a good example of where there's this other competing, uh, I guess, priority or opportunity as well. Well, and, and just going back to, well, what's my biggest goal? Not what are all the goals, but what's my mm, main priority? Yes. And so for her, like looking at that scenario of, well, what's her top number one priority? Well, to have a family. Well, then you, I would recommend staying at the stable job, reaping the benefits of the government um, parental leave scheme and know that career changes and career opportunities are always going to be there. But your number one goal, prioritise that, knowing that you will get those other opportunities at a later date. Yeah. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much or to overstep the mark at all. But if I can spin off a little bit, whether it's the IVF journey or it's another goal, so somebody perhaps might be starting a side hustle and they're like, look, I'm just really trying to get this side hustle off the ground. It's it's good in the role I'm in because I know it. I can almost do it with my eyes shut. But then I've got this attractive other offer. It'll be a learning curve. And I look at these scenarios and I go, usually when people set these life goals, so whether that's to start a family or to start a side hustle and turn that into something more or whatever it might be, the recommendation is that that comes with a bit of a time limit. So it's like, I'm going to give myself 12 months. I'm going to give myself two years. I'm going to give myself three years, whatever it is, until this bucket, like, bucket of money runs out. And so you can almost go like, right, I'm going to stay where I am for the period of this journey while this is the priority. But to your point, Shell, it won't be forever. It won't yeah, be forever. That's right. Okay, last question. This one's from Kenzie. Kenzie's looking for ideas of how to return to the workforce after being a stay-at-home mum for five years, which is, I think, a really cool question because I don't feel like we've answered one along these lines before. And hats off, Kenzie. You have done the most full-on job and amazing. And I just think as a parent, as a mum of two little bubs, it's, it's such a challenge to navigate the world of work. You've got this role that you do at work and then you've got your role as a mum and a parent, um, I should say. And and it's just, yeah, it's just wild. (laughs) So Kenzie, you are amazing. And I guess the first thing, and Em and I were talking about this before the episode of like easing in and resisting the urge to go into catch up mode. Like I've often talked to mums who've had their time out of work for a, for an extended period like this and they they feel like they're playing catch up and I just want to say resist that urge to feel like you're having to make up for lost time. Yeah, that makes sense to me and and look, while sometimes we feel time pressure, I guess this is a scenario that Again, I can't speak from experience, but if I can um, just maybe be another voice that says like, it's okay if this isn't like a gung-ho, let's throw everything at it straight away from the first week. It's actually just this, okay, what's the first step? What's the second step? And like go at your own pace kind of moment. Yeah, that's right. And I I, I think other things would be that sense of, I know when when I've uh, been off on my, parental leave both times. It hasn't been an extended time like um, K 
Mackenzie scenario, but both times I really struggled M with my confidence coming back. And I think that's a thing of just acknowledging if you are feeling like you're lacking a bit of confidence, acknowledge that. But but when I said before, like that thing about you're not making up for lost time, that five years is such precious time. It's not lost time. It's the most beautiful investment that you've made in your family. And recognizing that there's so many things that you've done in that time that are so high value and being intentional around that confidence, like that confidence is a muscle. You've got to build it and acknowledging where you're at, but also seeing that that investment you've made in your family is such an important thing. And I don't know if I'm articulating myself well, but I, I guess I'm just saying it is complex. There is, there's all that emotional side of it as well. And saying, I'm feeling nervous about this transition back into the, to the workforce, acknowledging where you're at, maybe finding a mentor who can help you coach you through it as well would be really helpful. Yeah, love those ideas. A few other practicalities as we might call them uh, to wrap this question up. I feel like if you're not already, jump on LinkedIn, set up your profile or give it a bit of TLC if you haven't looked at it for a little while. Um, Same goes for your resume. The other one, uh, and again, this is part of what Shell and I were talking about earlier. It's like so easy not to think of your voicemail. You know, if you're going to start having conversations with people who are going to then um, give you a call about a job or an opportunity that they know of, we want you to have a really nice voicemail. And the voicemail that suits from a professional point of view might be different to what you've had on there from when it's been purely personal for the last five years. And conversations are so important. So during this time, and I really feel like this will play into this confidence building, but you know, it definitely will play into the opportunity opening. That is the more conversations you have, the more chance you will find a job or, you know, that next adventure that you're keen to go on. Awesome. Great. Well, that's it for community Q&A for this episode. As always, we love hanging out. And if you enjoy the show, wherever you listen, uh, follow, give us a five-star rating and review. That really helps us get the show out there as well. Thanks for hanging out, Em. Yeah, thanks, Shell. Talk to you again soon. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money Medical, My Millennial Health, My Millennial Business, and My Millennial Money. Find these wherever you're listening to this podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 